It's really great to be with you all this morning. It's exciting to uh, see a bunch of smiley faces on a cold morning. It is that time in upstate New York. Sweet glory. The snow is coming. Um, if you uh, if you would like to open up your version, your Bibles to First uh, Corinthians chapter six, we're going to continue in our series. And uh, this morning, the series is called um, "Consider the Source." Consider the source. And this morning's uh, title is "Don't Be Judgmental." Don't be judgmental. And so we're going to uh, continue on in a series that really has encapsulated as we've journeyed through the first six chapters of First Corinthians, and it culminates to a conclusion next week, so you won't want to miss that, and then we'll uh, begin a, a new exciting series that you'll hear more about. Um, but why don't you follow along with me as, uh, as we read through the first 11 verses of chapter six. It will be projected if you don't have a Bible or a way to follow along says this, the Apostle Paul uh, is writing a church in Corinth, and so we pick that up here in chapter 6. It says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at, well, at all with another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And all such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we're thankful, as we've already mentioned, we're so thankful for our veterans. We thank you for the freedom that they provide, and yet we are so aware that the freedom that their service has provided is under the umbrella of the freedom that you provided at the cross and the grace that you extend to us. And so this morning we gather to this place, and we pray that we would have an encounter with you, that we would hear your word, that it would um, change our lives, that it would transform our thoughts and our hearts for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. So I grew up in a, I'd say a middle-class family for all intents and purposes from my perspective. Who knows, maybe we were a lot poorer than I realized. If so, uh, kudos mom and dad. Um, but uh, there, there weren't a lot of times. My dad um, was a blue-collar worker, hardworking guy. He had the uh, opportunity to move into uh, kind of a supervisor role, and it required him to wear a suit, which he was not a fan of. Uh, he was not a fan of wearing a suit at all. And so I remember uh, very distinctly when, uh, when we had to go and, and buy a suit, and uh, he was trying to sort of avoid it. And uh, he said, well, why don't you come with me? 
I said, okay. He said, I've only bought a handful of suits in, in my life, but uh, I wouldn't mind if you came along. I said, all right, cool, let's go. And so uh, we're kind of getting ready. I meet him out in the living room. And uh, as we <laughs> start to head out the door, my dad comes out. I was like, we're not going? And he goes, no, we're going. I was like, why are you dressed like a homeless person? <laughs> and he's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you're wearing like sweatpants. Uh, you know, he's wearing sneakers and like a t-shirt. I'm like, I thought you're going to go like, we're going to go pick out a suit. And he's like, yeah, we're going to pick out a suit. It's like, why are you dressed like that? Like what if the shoes don't look right or whatever? And he's like, just, just trust me. This is the way I always dress when I wear a suit, <laughs> when I go to buy a suit. It's like, it's how you always dress. Like, it's like a handful of times you've ever bought a suit in your life. What do you mean? You He's like, trust me. I was like, all right. So we get in the car and uh, as we're driving uh, to the store, he says, you know, there's something you got to understand about where we're going. I was like, what's that? He goes, the people that work there work on commission. I was like, okay. And he goes, just keep that in mind. I was like, all right. Oh, wise one purchaser of the suits. Yeah, I, have, I have no idea what's happening, but you literally look like a homeless person. And so, uh, you know, just, I was a, you know, top shuffle teenage uh, person, sh- top shelf teenage person. Wow. Did I say shovel and shelf into one word? <laughs> shovel? Boom. I have no idea what it means, but let's roll with it. So in either case, I, uh, we show up there and we walk in. And as you can imagine, as we walk in, there's this person that's like a, you know, a go-getter, like ready to just pounce on anybody that walks in the door. And he's the super nicest person in the world as you walk in. And then he looks and he kind of looks my dad up and down and kind of steps aside like, and uh, just sort of ignores him. And then all of a sudden there's this other younger guy who walks up and goes, excuse me, sir, can I help you? And he's like, yeah, I'm uh, looking at suits. And so he's like, yeah, great, come on over here. And so we, uh, we start looking at suits and everything, and uh, the manager comes out and kind of pulls the guy aside and having a conversation. And it's clear that what's happening in this environment is that there is one person that's supposed to get the next person when they come through the door. You know, like in a, in a situation where you work on commission, you kind of take turns. And so they're having this conversation, and you can see this person that was at the door kind of being like relinquishing his right for commission to this younger guy. Like, nah, you can have that guy. He looks homeless. <laughs> and, uh, and so sure enough, this guy's like, I don't care. Like, you can literally say, like, I don't care. I'm just, I'll, I'll work with him. So he comes over and he engages my father again and starts talking. So my dad's like, oh yeah, well, this is what my size is. And they're, they're talking through. And so someone else walks through the door and this guy runs over and he's dressed nicely. And he's like, just talking him up and down and everything. He walks over, tries some suit jackets on and blah, blah, blah. And uh, lo and behold, this well-dressed guy who comes in ends up thanking everybody and leaves. And uh, my dad waits until kind of everybody's sort of paying attention. He goes, you know what? I'll buy one. And the guy's like, excuse me? He's like, yeah, I'll take it. And so the first guy's like, well, and he's like, no, no, no. He helped me. I want him to get the commission. And they're like, well, and they're all like kind of like coming unglued a little bit. And he's like, I'm buying the suit from him. He's like, Okay. All right. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And you can see the other dude's just furious. And so he goes over and they're, they're checking him out and everything. And I'm really entertained by the entire experience. And as we go out to the, to the car, my dad's walking with a suit and he says, you know, I always dress that way when I go to buy a suit because I want to reward the person that doesn't consider how it is that I look. And I also want to teach a lesson to the person that ignores me because of how I look. My dad's a pretty wise guy. So I have a question this morning. Why is judging people so easy? 
Why is it so easy to judge people? The way they look, the way they act, the way they dress. We have an opinion, whether you like it or not. And you can sit there and be like, no, no, a person is a person. I'm so above that, right? Until it's 10 o'clock at night, it's dark, and you're in an alley or something, and you see like a little kid playing over here and a ginormous dude standing over here, and you have a decision. Which way will you go? (laughs) Towards the little kid. Well, the kid's got a knife. You're dead. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just I just I just had to I just had to take it to an extreme there. Well I wish I could control myself, but I can't. Like the reality is we we rush to judgment. We rush to judgment. Why? It's human nature. Judgment is bias. It's personal opinion about someone else. We're obsessed. We're obsessed with drawing conclusions in the environment that we're surrounded in. I want to submit to you this morning, we judge people because we're influenced by our culture and by the narrative we're being told. It's our culture that informs our perspective. It's the way that we were raised. It's environmental. We're obsessed with self. Now, you know, we, whether you like it or not, regardless of, of who you are, um, you're a rather selfish person. It's the nature of humanity. It's the fallen condition of humanity is that we want what we want. We want our comfort. At our core, we're more about ourselves than we are about others. So like it or not, in denial about it or not, whether you're a Christian or not, if you're a human being, which all of us are as far as I know, you're selfish at your core. There's some part of you that, that just looks out for number one. And whether you like it or not, you're also a part of a story that's being written and you're influenced by the cultural narrative that you exist in. We function in, in, a, in a Western world perspective and if you don't travel outside of this country very often, you can get very enamored by our culture and be very closed off to a more global perspective. You see, at face value... We might assume as we read through this text that, in fact, the the section title is Lawsuits Against Believers. And we might look just at face value and assume that this passage is simply about how Christians shouldn't sue one another. And although that can be a fair conclusion, it runs deeper than that. It's about a cultural narrative that's influencing the church in Corinth. It's about something that's happening within society that's actually encroaching upon and inside the church that should be separate from. And so we pick up at verse 5 with Paul. He goes on through verse 5 and 6. He says, I say this to your shame, as he's talking about these lawsuits. He says, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers. And when they're using brothers, he's talking about believers, people that are in community together, that have Christ in the center of their lives. And going on to verse six, he says, but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. What he's saying is that in a Christ-centered community, nothing should be irreconcilable. A division in the church is an affront to the truth of the gospel. And we've heard that theme earlier on in, in 1 Corinthians as we started this journey together. And uh, I want to submit to you that where there's one person that's self-centered, it would make sense that reconciliation would be possibly difficult in a disagreement. 
But when you're self-centered, the outcome has to benefit self, right? That's not rocket science. That if you're a self-centered person, if we all suffer with the condition of being self-centered and about self, then it would only stand to reason that when we're in situations, we're going to look out for number one. And so it becomes difficult to reconcile a disagreement when I'm looking out for myself and you're looking out for yourself. So self-centeredness kind of causes some difficulty in reconciliation. It's a timeless principle. So it doesn't only interact and, and, and function within the culture or in a community like a church. So let's just say in a Christ-centered marriage, to go from self-centered to Christ-centered, things should always be able to be resolved, right? If it's a self-centered marriage, then it, it becomes rather obvious that you're going to butt heads because you want what you want. They want what they want. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure you're right. Um, <laughs> as you both sit there like, yeah, <laughs> see, he agreed with me. <laughs> Have fun with that one. Um, but when it's self and self, it conflicts. But in a Christ-centered marriage, things should always be able to be resolved. In a Christ-centered community, there will be disagreements because we're human. But what we have in common is greater than what we disagree on, or it should be. So how about you, as an individual? Reflect for a moment. Be honest with yourself. I'm not going to make you stand up or raise a hand so you can be as honest as you want within your own mind. Because you might be tempted to say something like this in your heart or in your mind. Ah, that's the problem. I'm Christ-centered, but... My spouse, my friend, my coworker, my teacher, they aren't. So it's, it's so clear. It's so incredibly clear how self-centered they are. Listen, Claude, as you're talking, I'm sitting here going, yes, I am Christ-centered. The reason why we can't reconcile is because of how much of a dirtbag they are. Right? The problem is they're self-centered. Hallelujah. Glad I came to church this morning. And so if that's you this morning and you're sitting there and you're literally considering that, that you are actually the solution and that they are the problem, I have a question. Why is judging people so easy? Because it's so incredibly easy when self is on the line. When self is on the line, they're wrong 100% of the time. Paul goes on into verse 7 and 8 and he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? What a great question. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. <laughs> I have another question for you. Are you willing to not only be wrong, but to literally be defrauded? Are you willing to come to a place to say, you know what? I'm going to be defrauded in this situation. I'm going to come out the loser. Now, now just to be clear, Paul is making reference to civil cases, not criminal. All right? So in Romans, you can read about criminal cases, and he's, he's pretty clear about the people that do wrong should have the consequences associated with the wrong they do. He's talking about civil cases. He's talking about 
us losing stuff. He's talking about material things being on the line. He's talking about you being humiliated by losing. He's saying, wouldn't it be better if you lose stuff and you're actually humiliated in losing an argument, coming out as the loser in the discussion, if it means Christ being glorified? Paul is saying, lose stuff, be humiliated by losing if it means Christ being glorified. And immediately some of you are like, but I'm right. But what if I'm right? <laughs> like, what if my neighbor, like, put the fence on my property? <laughs> it's so clearly on my property. They're so wrong. Like, Claude, like, I get it. I love Jesus. Hallelujah. All that stuff, right? But they're legit wrong. Like, they're a jerk. Like, they're super mean. And I'm so right. I'm so right about this. It sounds counterintuitive, right? Because the narrative that we're immersed in and our culture defines things as success, failure, win, lose. That's the culture we live in. If you don't win, you lose, right? Second place, first loser. That's what our society says. That's why we function. And, and, and what's interesting is that it's like the society and the culture knows that that is painful. So now they come up with like participation trophies. <laughs> like, listen, we all, we didn't keep score, guys. None of us did. You're all winners. And the kid's like, I kept score. We lost. I say all the time, like you're on the sidelines. I've been at the games. The kid's like, 5-2. We destroyed them. Yeah, it was just fun to play. Yeah, no, I totally dominated her. I'm not even kidding. You know, like, they know. Why? Because our society is saying, listen, you either win or you lose. You're a success or you're a, fail or you're a failure. You're right or you're wrong. Paul's saying, there's no room for that in the church. There's no room for that in someone that's been transformed by the truth of the gospel. Because what happens when you say right and wrong, success and failure, win or lose, your identity and worth start to be connected to the journey. So now all of a sudden, if I lose this argument, I'm less than. You're better than me. You win. I lose? Uh-uh. <laughs> Not today. <laughs> I love you, honey. But it's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> I am going to fight you until you submit. I'm right. You're wrong. You ever win? I'm putting it in quotes for those listening on podcast. <laughs> you ever win an argument and yet feel like you lost? <laughs> I won. <laughs> Some of you are like, it would be so awesome to win an argument. I don't even know what that feels like. So if I could just, if I could feel that for a moment, it would be, whoa. I'm not even sure right now, honey. Just everybody stand still. Is the world coming to an end? Jesus return coming? Like, what's happening? Am I about to be killed? Does that kid have a knife? No, anyway. <laughs> if you showed up late, you got to get here on time. Anyway. 
<laughs> like, what? There's kids with knives? I don't understand. Anyway. You ever been right and realized that it pushed people away rather than draw them closer? There's not that much legitimacy to the right, wrong, win, lose, success, failure argument. If it was legitimate, then when you were right and everyone agreed, you would feel vindicated. There would be a moment where everyone would say, hell be to you, O right one. And maybe in your mind, it's gotten so bad that you actually hear that. <laughs> I don't mean apologizing for the truth of the gospel. I'm not talking about that. I mean when you're self-centered. And guess what? We all are. So what I mean is, the next time you're in an argument, a disagreement. You see, because when we're talking about the truth of the gospel, even being Christ-centered requires the truth in love. And there's a difference. There's a difference between truth and the basis of right versus wrong and truth in love. Truth in love restores and draws closer. Truth in right versus wrong brings distance and pushes people away. As a Christ follower, and I know there's people in the room that, that are not Christ followers, and that's okay, and I'm glad you're here. Because probably part of the reason you aren't a Christ follower is because someone along the line that proclaimed to be a Christ follower stood on their podium of right versus wrong and browbeat someone, and you're like, what a dirtbag. If that's Christianity, I'm out. <laughs> that's what happened in Corinth. And Paul's saying, you guys are wrong. You are wrong. As a Christ follower, you have a mandate to be Christ-centered, not self-centered. Hear that. As a Christ follower, you have a mandate to be Christ-centered, not self-centered. Now, you might be sitting there and say, hang on a second, I, I know some good people. I know some good people that don't profess Christ at all, and they're super nice. They're not, they're not aggressive at all. They're really good people. You see, because there's a, there's a category in the middle. There's, there's self-centered people. There's Christ-centered people. And then there's other-centered people. Other-centered people are the people that realize that their self-centeredness is despicable, and so in their own effort, they attempt to not be self-centered. But without the truth of the gospel, the best they have is to be other-centered. And so we see people that are other-centered and we go, wow, that's a nice dude. She's nice. I mean, don't get me wrong. She gets walked on. They take advantage of him. Nice guy. At Centerway, we have a because and therefore that states this. Because he first loved us, we value love first. Therefore, we say, come as you are and welcome people to belong before they believe. Because we truly love people, we will speak the truth in love. So we're not going to apologize for the reality of what the word of God says, but we're going to speak that truth in love. Why? Because God first loved us. Because he first loved us, we can first love others. We can slow our rush to judgment and instead say, listen, we're all a work in progress. Come as you are, 
but be transformed by the truth of the gospel. Walk through the sanctification process. Allow God to mess you up so that you become a different version of who it is that you are. Christ-centered people ought to function differently. They ought to think differently. Do you? Do you or, or are you selfish? Or in your own efforts of behavior modification and leaning into the goodness of humanity, you say, listen, I'm going to be others focused. I mean, I'm going to be the golden rule guru. The Corinthian church, the Corinthian churchgoers were, were suing each other. They were suing each other in the church. But it was a deeper indicator of them lacking a Christ-centered perspective. You see, there's something that you need to understand about the culture in Corinth. The culture in Corinth, it's not set up like the society that we function in. And so you could not just randomly take someone to court. You needed to have a specific net worth in order to be permitted to bring litigation against someone else. You needed to be wealthy. And so in order to be wealthy, you could sue someone, but here's another caveat. You can only sue down. You could never bring someone to court that had a greater net worth than you because it was a class system. So you had no right to bring accusation against the, a person with greater income than you because in civil cases, it would just be like a money grab. Oh yeah, they, they messed me over. I should get their money. So they set up a system that was flawed at its core that says, listen, you have to be wealthy in order to be allowed to take from those with less. Talk about a rigged system. I don't know. If that's different than America, that's for you to decide. I, I really don't know. But I'm telling you, the system there was set up for wealth, power, and manipulation of the system. Not only could they bring someone to court, but the, the jury had to have a net worth of a specific amount in order to be permitted to cast judgment. So therefore, they were friends and family of the suing person. I'm wealthy enough to take from you. And there's a jury of my peers. <laughs> we think you owe me. That's what's happening in the church. Hey guys, we, we just, you know, we can't figure this out. So why don't we, I'll just take you to court. I'll just take you to court and get what's mine. It was selfish. It was about power, position, and self-centered perspective. They were functioning according to a Corinthian narrative rather than a Christ narrative. We in our society all too often function according to an American narrative, which I love America. I am not bashing America on any level, but we are functioning according to the earth's perspective of right and wrong instead of functioning according to a Christ narrative. Otherwise, you'd be willing to say you're wrong. You'd be willing, maybe even to be defrauded if Christ would be elevated. How do you define success and winning as a disciple of Jesus? For those of you that claim to be Christ followers in the room this morning, how do you define success and winning? What's success look like in your marriage? 
get rid of the Americanized version, the, the white picket fence, the house, the, the, you know, honey, we're going to bed. Okay, June Cleaver, you know, go over to your own separate bed. I'm going to wear pearls to bed tonight. Like, I don't mean like this creepy, like what is success in your marriage? Our society says longevity through the pain. If you can suck it up long enough. But here's the deal. Have a lot of get out of jail free cards built in there. Make sure that what's yours remains yours. Make sure you set up boundaries, protect. Because after all, it's about your possessions, right? It's about yourself. What's success and winning look like at your school with your kids? I'm amazed. I am, I am amazed at the number of parents that have determined what it is that their children will be and do that's really secretly fulfilling some unmet dream of their own heart. Our society says what? You have to go to college. Why? I don't know. I went. It's amazing. It's amazing scam, right? Like when you think about it, like, hey, listen, you can't get a job unless you pay all this money to this private institution that will give you a piece of paper in exchange. You're like, I got that paper. Like, you're qualified. <laughs> what? And, and, and I mean, I'm overeducated. Master's degree and everything. To what end? I have no idea. Why? Because you still learn in the activity of life. But it's because the culture has defined something. And so we function according to the culture we exist in. And listen, I'm not an anarchist. I'm not here saying, like, the problem is this culture. Tear it down. Like, I'm not saying that at all. Because we live in that culture, but the word of God says that we're to be aliens in it. That we're to be foreign, that, that we're to function in it and say, wait a second though, I don't function according to this definition of success and winning. What does success and winning look like with your friends? Are you, are you selfish? Are you good? Are you Christ-centered? You see, because when you're self-centered, it's about me. When you're good, it's others self it's other-centered. It's about you. When you're Christ-centered, it's about Christ. Is it is your process different than the culture you're immersed in? Now, I gotta tell you that when you play out the options and you say, in a self-centered environment, you're going to butt heads, you're going to bite heads, it's about you, it's about you, it's about you. In an others-centered environment, it's, okay, fine, you win. You win, whatever you want. Yep, no, I'm happy. I'll endure. And you still feel like everybody's losing. But a Christ-centered perspective flips everything on its head. How do we how do we get to a place where we stop being selfish? If we're all selfish, if we all care about number one and that really being others focused is, is just another version of self-centeredness because what we're doing is saying, listen, I'm going to be good enough to let you in. How do we change? You can't 
Thanks for coming to Centerway. No. <laughs> we can't, right? You can't just wake up one morning and say, hey, listen, I don't care about my stuff anymore. <laughs> you know what? From now on, I'm going to be wrong and cool with it. You don't flip a switch. You, you can try as hard as you want, but it's going to be exhausting. It's going to be infuriating. Unless. Unless when you're wrong or when you're wronged, you consider what God's response is to you. Paul goes through a list in the next verses of, of just all these areas of sin. He goes through the list and then he picks up in verse 11 and he says this, and such were some of you. In other words, listen, you're a sinner, just like everybody around you. You're broken. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Listen, sin deserves and requires the wrath of God. There's a penalty for sin. It separates us from God. But in the midst of that gap between us and God, Jesus stepped in as mediator, as the great judge. He steps in and says, you know what? I'm going to bridge the gap. Because the sin penalty of your life can never be fulfilled by your good works and your best attempts, but I can live a sinless, perfect life and I will fulfill the wrath that God has. In the Garden of Eden, he says, is there any way this cup can pass? He's talking about a cup of wrath. He's talking about the judgment of God on sin. And yet he goes to the cross for you and for me. Jesus is saying, listen, I've been wronged, but I'll take the penalty. And he flips the paradigm over. The power pyramid gets flipped over. The society that we live in, it can't comprehend where the God of heaven would come and humble himself and go to a cross for you and for me. There's no other religion in the world where the deity comes and lays their life down. And yet Jesus, he comes. He lays his life down. Because of Christ, God's response is that you're forgiven and that you're awarded grace. Not because you deserve it. Not because you're right. But because of who Jesus is. And so then when we sit there and we've been wronged, we power grab. We've been forgiven of so much and yet we will not forgive. We've been awarded so much grace and yet we extend none. How is that possible? How is it possible that we that proclaim to be Christ followers function according to the society's rules instead of being separate from it and saying, listen, you know what? I think I'm right here, but I'm willing to be wrong. Okay, then that's mine. You can have it. No, I mean like this property is mine. Like I'm going to put a fence on it. That's cool. We'll lose like, you know, a couple feet. You can have it. You're such a sucker. No, I've considered what it is that God's done for me. And I'm willing to give you property. Don't say that, by the way. It sounds creepy. <laughs> right? I'm not talking about articulating things like in creepy Christian world. 
I'm, talk about, I'm talking about something that you're saying to your heart. That you have the ability to give someone something, a possession, so that you have the authority to speak into their life later. Because I'll tell you what, if you're a kind person, that gets people's attention. When you're counterintuitive to the society, when it doesn't make any sense, all of a sudden they say, so you're like a little different, right? Like, yeah. You seem happy all the time. Yep. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I used to be really, really super selfish. I used to be super angry. In fact, it was all about being right. But you know what? If you want to hear the story, I'll tell you sometime. I'd love that. Or let me take you to a place where I found that I didn't have to live that way anymore because I was so exhausted and tired and miserable. And I don't even mean center way. I mean any Bible-believing church that you're attended to. Draw people to that place that you've found hope so that they can find it as well. Consider the source. Who's the source of your grace? If you have the ability to award grace, it's because it comes from a source named Jesus Christ. So I have something for you to consider as you leave this place. As we consider, into, as we go into a time of worship and response this morning and we just kind of lay our hearts bare, I want to ask you a question. Who do you need to show grace to? You see, because if we come and we just have church and we go through the motions and, and we visit with people, which is great. It's all awesome. But if that's as far as it gets and we leave this place the same we came, then we're all wasting our time. But if we have an encounter with God and there's something of truth in it, then it requires us to change the way we perceive the world. That we'd allow God to do something in our hearts and minds. And for some of you, you need to show grace to someone. Maybe this morning your application is to allow God to award you the grace that he wants to extend to you. Maybe this morning, your application is to cross the line of faith, to stop living a self-centered life and to say, okay, I want to begin a Christ-centered life. I want in. I'll give it a shot. If that's you, it's as simple as a prayer and we'll give you the opportunity to pray in a moment. I won't embarrass you or make you come forward, but I'll explain at the end what your next steps can be because we want to walk alongside you with that journey. You're, you're in a room where a majority of people have prayed that prayer. For others of you this morning, you need to show grace by showing some humility. Going to someone that has wronged you. You're right. Listen, you're right. I don't even know, but let's just say you're right. Are you willing to follow the humility that Jesus modeled when he went to the cross? And for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel and Jesus being glorified, go to that person and say, listen, I was wrong. I was wrong. It's been too long and this is too stupid. It's not worth our relationship. It's not worth the wreckage. Listen, I'm good. If you'd forgive me, Let's move beyond this. It's counterintuitive, right? You're like, wait, no, that doesn't make sense. Exactly. Because in the kingdom of God, the power pyramid is flipped upside down. Because what do you lose? By being defrauded? By being defrauded, what? Your pride? 
No, but I'm right. Who cares? Who cares if it means opening up a door to have a spiritual conversation that Christ be glorified? Humble yourself, lose your stuff, lose your pride. Go and say, listen, I want to make it right. For some of you this morning, you're holding offenses as if you are someone that has not been redeemed by the truth of the gospel. As someone that has not been forgiven of all that you've been forgiven of. Rest assured, I'm talking to myself too. There's no one in this room that's excluded and it's a daily decision to live differently than the culture we're immersed in. It's a daily decision. God, would you renew my mind? That's what Romans talks about. Renew my mind daily, Lord. For others of you this morning, your application is to use your power and your strength to flip the power pyramid because some of you are people of means. Some of you are people of authority and you have the ability to walk in and flip the power pyramid and say, you know what? This person's been wronged for too long and it's not okay. Well, well, come on. I mean, come on. No, no, no. It's not all right. Why do you care about them? You know it's because Jesus cared about you. Well, you were an enemy of God. He cared about you. And so we can't sit by silent. The gospel requires us to speak up and to say that's not okay. It's not okay. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. I want to provide opportunity for us to, to respond. If this morning you want to come into relationship with Jesus Christ, it's as simple as praying a prayer. It goes something like this. Lord, I'm a sinner, but you died for my sins. Would you forgive me? Come and be the Lord and leader of my life. It's that easy. You can pray it in the quietness of your mind. For others of you, you need to contemplate. As I was saying it, some of you, you were thinking of the person, the person that you need to restore a relationship with. The Holy Spirit's so faithful to reveal the application necessary. The question is, do you have the guts to walk in it? So I want, we want to provide space for you to respond you to worship the Lord, to maybe sit or stand or sing along and, and just say, okay, God, this is going to take something beyond me because everything in me wants to hold on to the offense. So I'm going to give it to you, Lord. Sometimes worship is about surrendering the things you've held on to. God, this is yours. It's yours. I'm laying it down. Others of you that it's time to flip that pyramid. If you would just stand with me as we go into worship. If you want to remain seated, you can, but I'm, for those that are, going, that are going to stand. Lord, I pray that your presence would remain in this place. Lord, I thank you that you're so faithful. You're so faithful to inhabit the praises of your people. And I know your presence is here. I know you're convicting us. I know you're moving. And I pray for the people that are, that are shedding tears, that are considering what it is that you're doing in their heart and mind, Father. I pray that it wouldn't simply be an emotional response, but that it would be something that we could act on, that we'd apply this to our lives, that we'd be different than the culture we're immersed in, that we'd consider the source.